Welcome to Pedagogue, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, I talk with Carolyn Calhoun Dillahunt about Yakima Valley College, a two-year college in Yakima, Washington, developmental writing courses, response to student writing, and a two-year college association. Carolyn Calhoun Dillahunt teaches English, primarily developmental and first-year writing at Yakima Valley College in Washington State. Carolyn has been teaching at the community college for more than two decades. Prior to that, she taught middle school and high school. At Yakima Valley College, Carolyn is actively involved in her campus's equity initiatives. Her teaching and scholarly interests focus primarily on developmental and first-year writing and placement and assessment. Carolyn has served as Taika Chair and the Conference on College Composition and Communication Chair and has published pieces in Teaching English in the Two-Year College, College Composition and Communication, and writing program administration, among others. Carolyn, thanks so much for joining us. I was hoping we could start by talking about your institutional context. Do you mind talking about Yakima Valley College and share a bit about what you teach? Yakima Valley is kind of a unique context already. And so it's a two-year college and that's a unique context, but it's um, we're in a very agricultural area yet Yakima itself is a city. There's a lot of um, drug abuse. There's a lot of um, all kinds of health issues that accompany poverty. There's, you know, and so yeah, there's mental health issues, you know, and that's our community. And so that's who is in the classroom. I'm from this area, so I know this community well. And Yakima is also heavily Latinx. The city is pretty much bicultural and the campus is about 60% Latinx population. And so it's now, for the past few years, has been the majority. I've been there for 20 years. And, you know, given this context, given that our stu- we're not a college educated community on the whole, our students are often coming with pretty modest goals in mind or maybe no goals in mind. I mean, they're coming because it seems like the right thing to do and they're coming to transform their lives, whatever that means for them. You kind of teach writing with that in mind, you know, so it's not really about your content first. It's about your people that you're working with and what they're going to need to be able to move wherever they choose to move. And you want to kind of prepare them to move because many times they start with very modest goals and then they realize they have brains, you know, and it's like, oh, you know, I mean, I could go to a four-year college, you know, and they get really interested because many of them have been, had also impoverished K-12 educations. And so, you know, once they get some really good challenging education, many of them like it and want to continue and, and feel really inspired. So you also want to set them up You want to set them up for the career goals they have. If they want to get right out there, you want them to be able to do that and do that effectively. But you also want to kind of keep pathways open for them so that they're able to do things that they hadn't imagined that they'd be able to do before. My college has two developmental writing courses prior to English 101 to first year writing. And and because we're on the quarter system, our writing course is a two quarter sequence. So there's The first one is um, just basically academic writing, introduction to academic writing and using source-based writing. And the second one is a little bit more, well, it's called argument. So it's a little bit more research and a little bit more taking a a clear position. Um, And so that's kind of the span of composition courses. We, all of us teach composition primarily. There are very few literature offerings or creative writing offerings or things like that at, at most I probably teach one a year, 
So really it's composition and that's the whole department. We're all compositionists, even though most, an increasing number are trained in composition, but you know, not the majority. And so most folks are coming from um, not writing instruction, writing theory backgrounds as they come into this. That said, it's a really good and collaborative department. So we have a really good sequence. I'm very proud of our sequence. It sets students up to move through and kind of just keep rebuilding on these skills. It really sees writing as a developmental process and is built in that way. Um, I generally teach, I was going to say about half developmental writing and half college level writing. I think it's leaning a little bit more towards more college level writing at this point because um, we've changed our placement tool in the past few years. I was pretty intricately involved in that and more students are placing into uh, 101 as a result. So that's a happy outcome though I am sad because developmental writings are my, my favorite classes to teach. So there's fewer of them, but that's what I uh, generally teach when I can. I also do some advanced comp courses. So I teach research writing pretty regularly. Usually once a year, a colleague and I do a collaborative developmental reading, developmental writing. I do the developmental reading portion of it. So you teach a wide range of writing classes from developmental writing to a more argument-centered writing class. What's your approach to teaching these different writing classes? It's not that different from developmental to college level. And so our entire department has adopted a, a process-oriented approach. And so we see writing as a recursive process and we always, the graded writing is always stuff that is going to have gone through revision and feedback process along the way. In developmental writing courses, I tend to use portfolios um, to allow more time for the process before um, grading is involved in my developmental courses. For the past probably four or five years, I've adopted kind of a SOWS model of um, contract grading. And our developmental writing courses also don't have grades, letter grades. They have satisfactory. If they're ready to move on to the next level, credit. If they've completed most of the coursework but not haven't met the course outcomes, and no credits would be like enough if they haven't achieve that. I typically in a quarter, we don't have a lot of time. And so uh, most classes I'm usually doing probably two to three major writing projects and a lot of other writing projects. I integrate reading and everything I do though much more fully when I have that linked reading class where I can actually concentrate on that. I'm interested in teaching for transfer. I can't say that we've adopted that as a department but I try to integrate aspects of that where um, uh, doing a lot of metacognitive work with the writing and a lot of trying to really make explicit core concepts and the core abilities that they're learning in these areas and, and the ways that they're applying to other things. And I'd say one of the things outside of composition that has really informed my practice in the past probably three or four years now is our college has adopted what's an equity agenda, which means different things to different people. <laughs> and I'm, um, but I am on that bandwagon. And even though administration may not see equity in quite the same way, or they're learners on this, um, I, I am happy to be there to shape this conversation and to be a part of this conversation. Part of that is we've received many Title V grants as a Hispanic serving institution. And with one of the more recent grants we received, it was really devoted to faculty professional development across the disciplines. And um, we adopted a program at the time called Escala, and it's consulting 
organization that does um, engage learning for Hispanic serving institutions. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's two-year college level or four-year college level. And so this program involves uh, going through workshops to kind of learn some key concepts about equity and about teaching minoritized populations. Um, and it focuses on, it kind of has a ladder with three prongs and it has um, the idea of uh, relationships um, is one of the key aspects of engaging students in learning. Um, building competence is another one and um, building trust. And then that's part of the assessment system too, is having a, an assessment system that's trustworthy. And so these are things that I felt like I was already practicing, but um, it's really helped me to be more conscious, more intentional with my planning, more explicit with and transparent with students about what I'm meaning. And I think it's been a really um, healthy, positive change for me and for the faculty involved. And at this point, across the disciplines, about half of the faculty in arts and sciences have participated in this program. And so it involves the workshops, it involves uh, doing some sort of classroom-based research project just for a quarter, so it's not very in-depth, but looking at some problem that you want to address in the class that's related to issues that you've been learning about in the workshops and applying some intervention and then studying how that intervention works. And so I really appreciated that reflective practice and this is what I asked students to do, so I'm happy to engage in the same sort of thing. You mentioned that you love teaching developmental writing at Yakima Valley College. What excites you about teaching this class or what do you enjoy the most about teaching developmental writing? I love the students first and foremost. Um, I love them because uh, more than any other group, I think they are there to transform their lives, whatever that means to them. And they feel very invested and they feel very grateful uh, for their educations. And that's easy to work with. And they're with you, right? You know, so I mean, <laughs> like, they're very engaged in learning. They're less kind of point oriented. When I teach, especially when I teach in the fall and you have a bunch of new students or a bunch of young running start students, that's what our high school and the college classroom, and they, they come to the college classroom and in our state primarily, you know, and they're just like, how many points is this worth? And they're, you know, totally concerned about this. And I don't get that at all with the developmental. They're just kind of like, here I am. I feel like I'm in the right place. And, uh, you know, I want to learn things. And so I, they want to learn. It's very, for me, like contract grading has been no sweat. They, you know, they're like, all right. They are not really concerned what leveling is. And I think, you know, so we really can all focus on learning, you know, and focus on here's what the course outcomes are. It, I my commentary is better in those classes because it does feel less pressured without a particular grade that I have to assign at the end. I, you know, 100% of them could be satisfactory. I would love that. That would be my goal. Um, it's not really a gatekeeping sort of class, but, but it is, you know. I mean, it still does prevent them sometimes from moving on to college level, um, even though there's not a test or whatever that they have to pass at the end. Um, but they just, they seem, really focused on learning. And when students are focused on learning, that's where I'm the happiest because that's kind of what I'm there for. And, you know, we don't have to do all the, I call it point grubbing. You know, we don't have to do all this, like where we're kind of distracted from what we're really doing here because we're so concerned about what the 
final grade outcome will look like. There's just a lot of freedom and flexibility to in developmental writing courses. Our campus actually has a lot of freedom. Um, we don't have a standardized curriculum at all. We just have standard outcomes. And I think that works really well for who we are, predominantly full-time, which is rare at a two-year college. We talk and have developed collaboratively our course outcomes. So we all have a clear sense of what we're looking for. We've done a lot of assessment. Everyone feels pretty comfortable doing what um, works well for you as a teacher, where your strengths are as a teacher, where your interests are as a teacher. And I want to talk about your co-written article, Conversing in Marginal Spaces, Developmental Writers' Responses to Teacher Comments. This is a study on developmental writers' perception and attitudes on teacher response. But not just perception, really it's about action. It's a look into what developmental writers do when they receive feedback from teachers. What did you learn from studying students' reactions to marginal comments, and how has this article helped shape your teaching or helped shape your responses to student writing? That's probably one of the uh, most enjoyable, for sure, um, and best learning experiences that I engaged with was um, collaborating on that project with Doty. This was actually a three-year project that we did. The article only represents the first year. Um, I'm trying to think if we pulled in some of the stuff from the second year. We might have. Um, but it doesn't represent the third year, which was my favorite. And we started writing on that and just uh, various things happened. I was elected to, you know, C's and that kind of consumed all my time. Uh, we had parents with health issues. And so it just didn't get going and then by the time I don't know that we ever had time but you know that it just became clear that it's like this is getting pretty old <laughs> probably gonna have to put this to bed I can't remember it well enough but the third project was actually case studies and that was awesome so um Dodie I used her class and so I uh interviewed I think we had five or six students out of her class um and we kind of went through that whole process that we did with the study but just with those students and then follow up interviews with them. And that it confirmed what we were seeing. It also provided a lot more uh, support for, for the most part, the autonomous nature that these students are bringing in. You know, again, we still have these assumptions that developmental students, and I mean, and they're not wrong, there's support for this, that developmental students want directive and want to be told what to do. But, you know, they really do want to intellectualize the majority of them, like most any other student, you know, they're, they're just students, they're just writers. They're just uh, earlier, more novice writers. And I think that was really helpful to get, to try to get rid of that bias that I think I had and didn't intend to have, you know, because I love teaching development students, I, you know, but I was maybe being a little bit too nurturing to, you know, like maybe this is my K-12 where I'm, you know, like trying to show them the right way versus, uh, kind of treating them as they are, adults with perfectly capable brains and plenty of ideas and just maybe need more practice at academic forms. It was just, it was great to work with another colleague and to kind of share these experiences back and forth. It was great to talk to students, even when it wasn't direct. We did interview a lot of the students even in the first round, but um, you know, you're getting to know them on the, the page pretty well and, the, and how forthright they are and how much they're willing to share about their experiences. It, it was mostly very heartening to understand that, you know, our hunch that we felt like commentary was important. 
both she and I devote far too much time to it and I haven't gotten any better. I like, I get more efficient, but I'm slower. So it doesn't, it hasn't been a time saver at all. <laughs> so it's just like, it's still a hugely time consuming pro process, but you know, you're hoping that it makes a difference and our study suggested that it, it does that um, when you engage in it uh, with this opportunity to discuss things with them on the page that, that's what they're taking it as. That's what they want. That is how they are maturing. Even though, I mean, and I think back to very early in my career um, teaching, I, I implemented portfolios. That's something I even did in grad school. I loved that idea of just having them to revise and make some choices. And, um, and then, you know, but what I remember is I would look at portfolios and all this stuff that I remembered had so much potential and then I'd look at it and I'd be like so disappointed because it didn't live up to this, you know, potential that I had in my mind. Um, and I think the study really brought home, you know, that one, you know, I probably, <laughs> I'm taking ownership of their paper when I'm doing that, you know, I'm imagining what it can be. And two, I wasn't always being fair, like because I had imagined what their paper could be, um, and I, it wasn't that they weren't passing or what, you know, it was still satisfactory credit, no credit, you know, it was just like, oh, it's not as good as I thought it could be. Like they were making changes. I'm just not seeing them because they weren't the changes that I was telling them to make necessarily, or they weren't changing in the way I thought they should change it. And so um, it's humbling and it's good, you know, it's good to, you know, it's like, and, and then, you know, to really think that the point is not to create a great paper. I mean, that'd be great, you know, if we both agreed and we're both really thrilled and proud of this work. But I mean, the point is to learn how to change your writing and to learn how to make some decisions about it and to make those decisions and to have a reason why you made those decisions. So it really helped me appreciate that there's a logic behind what they're doing. And a lot of times we're not asking them about that logic. And if we took a moment to ask them about that logic, it really does change your commentary. And so, you know, it's like when they tell you why they're doing the things they're doing, you know, sometimes it's totally the wrong thing to do. Like it's not, it's really not the best or appropriate response, but then it's like, then, you know, it's like, Oh, okay. You were thinking that would do this, but as a reader, it did not do that. <laughs> you know? So what if, and it, it just, it kind of, um, it's far more empowering and it's treating them far more as writers. You know, it's, you're responding to them as workers doing this stuff, not to this piece that you imagine is going to be some way. And so even though I didn't feel like I was doing that, I think the study really brought home that we all have the tendency to do that. We were definitely doing that. We could see our colleagues doing that as we were studying them. And um, students are making a lot of effort and that effort's not always helping the product in the way teachers think are successful, but it doesn't mean that it's not still a really worthwhile thing for them to go through revision. And when we ask students to do something, especially reconceiving, um, not only do they not necessarily have the practice or skill set to do that effectively yet, you know, they just may not have the time, even if they wanted to, <laughs> you know, it's just like, this, this is, a big task when you ask somebody to just reconsider something completely that's the hardest thing you can do and so i think you also it also kind of helped us to moderate our expectations 
of what can a student really realistically do with something? What should a student really realistically do with something when this is just a thing for a class that's getting them to practice, a, you know, a learning outcome? And so, yes, all very humbling uh, and very instructive. You're such a reflective teacher. And one thing I admire about your teaching is that you build in time for students to reflect on your comments. You have them fill out a reflective report on your feedback. It's so important to better understand how students are responding to our comments. That means we also have to understand who our students are and where they are. For example, that means in part understanding who is working 40 hours per week, raising a family, taking night classes. Students' affordances to time and their relationship with time and their abilities to revise and labor aren't all equal. I'll give an example from last quarter in developmental English, which was, again, just really eye-opening. And so this is not a graded class. This is all contract, labor contract. <laughs> you know, um, it's set up for success. I want them to be 100% successful, but they do need to do the work to do it. And I recognize they were evening students. They have even less time. You know, they do have families. They do have full-time jobs. Um, all kinds of them had traumas that occurred during the quarter. So this particular woman, very high achieving, very skilled. Her first one, it was just like a personal reflection. They were supposed to reflect on a photo um, and tell the story behind it and then analyze what's going on there, you know, and what maybe they observe now that they didn't observe at the time. And so she had a very powerful story and there were just a few places where I didn't know the details and I knew she was trying not to delve very far into them but it's just like I might need a little more information here so this all went well next essay comes in and um it's also very good she's very good at crafting it she very it was supposed to be a profile essay so I wanted kind of one trait to come up about this person and I got like everything like she's just basically an angel you know walking on this earth and so I, I said, you know, that's awesome that she's an angel walking on this earth. But, you know, for this paper, because, you know, it was also super long. I was like, maybe you could just focus in on one of her angelic qualities and, and just exemplify that. And so I give it back to them electronically. But, you know, she comes to class. She was already late. And she's in tears when I get to her. And I, I am not sure if that's about my commentary, but I suspect it might be. You know, and so I ask, is, is, you know, if she wants to talk or anything she wants to do, and she does not. And so I uh, let her go. And then I um, email her after she leaves that evening. And I was just like, I, you know, I don't, I know a lot of things are stressing you out and upsetting you right now, but I feel like my commentary was one of them, you know, so is there something, you know, something that I can talk about? And so, you know, and she, she just, felt like such a failure and then I'm like reading back my comments and I was like what what did I say you know shit you know it's like what did I you know how could I crush this poor student spirits and and the thing is I think just because I had more suggestions because it was still highly praising you know I already told her that it's totally accomplished all the course outcomes like you know so I mean I had to give I just had to tell her you just gotta let this go just don't revise it ignore everything I said <laughs> you know it's like you know I mean because that's not the intent. And if you can't revise this piece, like if it's giving you that sort of anxiety, there's no need. Just put it aside. <laughs> like, 
you don't have to do anything. It was already satisfactory. <laughs> I should treat students like writers, but she's still a student. And so I was talking to her like a fellow writer, and I was offering her commentary like she had that experience and maturity to address these things. But it was just overwhelming, even though as I look at it, it's not overwhelming and it's not negative, but it's like, okay, so I need to treat them as writers, but they're still students. And that was a good lesson for me too, because like, I think I erred on treating her like she was a colleague because she was my age, you know? So it's just like, she felt like a colleague. She's very skilled, but it's like, she's not. She's still a vulnerable student with all these student stresses. In 2019, the two-year college association Taika held its first national conference. I see this as a step forward in supporting teachers in two-year colleges, a step forward in increasing visibility on two-year college work, and a step forward in developing collaborations among teachers of writing. What sort of feedback did you hear from attendees and what future impact do you think this conference will have on our field? So this is one of the questions I read before and um, at the moment I wasn't sure how to answer because I didn't get to I didn't get to be in the Taika conference. I got to go to the luncheon, but um, I had the CZC meeting that day. However, you know, I have a lot of ends <laughs> with Taika. So I was definitely well aware of what was going on. I got to review um, proposals. I just, I went back and I looked at my chair's reflection and, and that's kind of where the idea of maturing is coming along. So at the time, and that was a good reflection too. So that was uh, I think that was 2014 was when I wrote that. And um, I was reflecting on where Taika was. It had just celebrated 15 years of being a national organization, though 40 some, you know, uh, of being a regional organization and a journal at the time. And I was like, so it, I mean, it really is entering its adolescence in a lot of ways. And so, uh, it definitely is bringing out more voice. You know, by 2014, there was a, a stronger sense of voice, a stronger sense of autonomy, uh, a sense of, of who we were as an organization, but still very fledgling, right? Because um, as a national organization, we're still a collective of regionals and there wasn't a real strong national identity or, you know, and it doesn't always overlap completely. And that's still a an issue today but at the time we um so during my tenure we had done what i called for our 15th birthday we had done the tour of taika which was kind of an effort to pull sessions from the regional conferences into a virtual environment two-week rollout where we featured regions um you know and then it, and then it was archived and it wasn't a huge participatory thing as asynchronous uh, things often are not. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, it was kind of this first recognition that we need, you know, you need that kind of conference space, you need this sort of presentational space beyond the journal to feel like you're an organization. And before my time and during my time, there had been some talk about not a national conference like this, but, you know, some sort of meeting on Wednesday. There were all these ideas. And then to watch it in just a few short years kind of grow into, like, this is a really grown-up thing <laughs> to do. This is a really uh, mature thing for an organization to do. To, and it's hard to pull off. But to establish an organization, to have this body of professionals and to have this body of scholarship represented in this space. This is amazing. And um, I heard very good feedback. I went to the luncheon speaker and he was incredible. I really see it 
you know, as representative of a maturing organization that's developing an identity on its own, I looked back to at the time. Um, so Taika had a 2020 vision and I see that they've extended the date on it, but looking back at what we had hoped to achieve 10 years, you know, in the future, and some of it we have and some of it we haven't, you know, but vision statements are aspirational. You're trying to get there. And it wasn't about a national conference, so it certainly was about using Taika, the organization, as a way to professionalize and provide professional development resources for folks in the two-year college. And I definitely think that this was a huge step in achieving that goal. Um, another aspect of it was, of course, uh, policy. And I think there should always be a space for two-year colleges and policy discussions. I, I look at how our position statements have matured over the years as well. Um, excellent white papers that have been done, especially on developmental education. Um, I, I think there's some pretty great scholars that are finally finding venues for their voices to be heard and, and places where people can kind of go, oh, two-year colleges are producing stuff as well. <laughs> thank you, Carolyn, and thank you, Pedagog listeners and followers. Until next time.